Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, what's up, everybody? It's Pastor John here at Lifehouse Church. So glad you're joining us today for our brand new series, Chasing Carrots. We're, part, we're in part one today. But before we dive into that, I just want to say a couple things. First off, welcome to all of you joining us for the very first time. We're so glad you're here. Make sure you fill out the digital connection card. We want to send you a gift just as a small way of saying thank you for joining us today. Secondly, if Lifehouse is your church home, welcome home. We're so glad you are here And look, if Lifehouse is your church home and you have not officially made it your church home, man, we would love for you to take that next step. And the next step is to go and go through LifeTrack, what we call LifeTrack. It's a five-step process that you can do 100% online on your own time that walks you through the vision, the DNA, the heart of our church. And really what it does is it prepares you to call Lifehouse home. You need a home church, right? You just don't, don't need a church where you just, you get the word or you consume a service. You need a church home that you can be planted in, that can partner with you in helping you follow Jesus, do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. So I would encourage you, if you have not participated in LifeTrack yet, do it. And you can do it by going to lifehouselifetrack.com. Spell that out. And you can do it all 100% online. Let's partner up together to see the kingdom of God move forward. But hey, I'm excited today. Brand new series, Chasing Carrots. What book? Philippians chapter three. Let's go ahead and dive in. Now, chapter three in this book is a, it starts off with Paul talking about his testimony and kind of about what had like the change that happened in his life and how what he treasured changed, what he was chasing after changed like what what his life vision and focus was changed and that's what we're going to be challenged with as we dive into this series is we're going to be challenged with what are we like what is the driving force of our life like what is our vision what is the focus what are we chasing and as and when we dive in today we're going to be challenged to see this moment where it changed for Paul so we are in chapter three we're going to be Starting in verse number one, we're going to go through verse number 11. Don't zone out on me. Let's consume the word of God today. It'll be right on the screen. Let's read God's word today and let's read our scripture text today. This is what it says. Paul says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That was a mouthful, but man, what a powerful portion of scripture we get to study today. A couple thoughts before we dive in. First off, Paul had no problem repeating things. I love how, how Paul starts off this. He says, I've told you this before, but I'm telling you this again. Why? Because it's a safeguard for you. Don't be afraid to hear the same thing over and over. Why? Because many times we do what? Forget. We, we, te- we have a tendency to remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember, right? So, Don't just say, well, I've got this down. No, don't be afraid to hear the word of God over and over. Why? Because we need it to be repeated. And Paul wasn't afraid to repeat it. But secondly, Paul came out of a very religious background. So you can even see why he talks about circumcision. He's he's like, look, church, watch out for, for those that preach. You have to do something in order to be saved. He says, watch out for these people because they'll come and they'll preach something and they'll say, in order for you to be a Christian, you must do these things instead of it being no what makes you a christian isn't what you've done it's what christ has done and paul is warning them and he's sharing with them look be careful of people like that because paul paul like paul was bragging on himself like he was humble bragging humble bragging he was he was like look if if some of y'all think y'all have reasons to put confidence in your works and in your flesh he's he's like i don't mean to bust y'all's bubble but let me tell you i got more than all y'all He's like, just to let y'all know, he, he's basically saying, I was awesome. I was great. According to everything that the religious law said was important, I did those things. I, I did it to a T. I was passionate for it. He said, I was so bought into what I was a part of, the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish, re, the Jewish religion and keeping the law. He said, I was so passionate about it. I even persecuted the church. Essentially, well, what Paul was saying, I was so passionate, I went and even killed people that didn't follow it. Paul was talking and Paul was sharing. He, he was like, look, I, I was great and I was awesome. But when I understood the gospel, when I understood that it wasn't my works that saved me, but Jesus worked that saved me. And, and of course, as if you know, Paul, he had this experience with God where he was actually on his way to kill Christians. And while he was on his way there, God stopped him. He blinded him. He knocked him off of his high horse. And God essentially told Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul responded back like, who are you, Lord? <laughs> you know, and what God essentially said is, you are now mine. You're going to be my chosen vessel to take this gospel to the Gentiles. And, and, and so Paul, whenever he truly understood who Jesus was and what Jesus did, Paul is sharing with us here. He's saying, when I look at all that I did on my own, thinking I was accomplishing something before God, now when I look at it in light of what Jesus did, it doesn't even compare. What Jesus did and what I did, what I did does not compare in any way, shape, or form to what Jesus did. And here's the thing, that list that Paul had just sounds dumb to us. Then it's like, okay, circumcised, eighth day, Hebrew, Hebrews, you know, as far as the law faultless, but you know, in all of those things, it sounds dumb to us, but what Paul was essentially saying is every cultural marker of what success looked like in that day, Paul said, I did it. Now we have to see here, this will be different, maybe based upon what the cultural markers are success for different, for different cultures. So even if you take the cultural markers that, and and kind of relate that to a United States culture, it might say 
things like, I was the CEO of this company. I had a wife and three kids and a perfect family that went to a great uh, academy. They went to great colleges. They got great jobs. We had you know, a four bedroom house with two bathrooms, a white picket fence. I was successful. I graduated from this college. I, you know, it's like Paul was saying every cultural marker of success, when I looked at it compared to Christ, it doesn't even match. And that's what Paul was challenging us to do is to say, what are the cultural markers of success that we put value in? When you really look at those things in comparison to what Jesus did, there should be no comparison. We should be overwhelmed and compelled to respond with the same way Paul did. When we compare, it's not even comparable. But it's like crazy. Whenever you look at this reaction from Paul, right? Paul's saying, look, all these cultural markers of success that I had when compared to Jesus, they don't compare. Like what compelled him to say it's literally like garbage, which the Greek word there, garbage, is actually the Greek word skubala. Skubala is actually a word that literally means dog dung. And even some Greek scholars debate whether it was actually a Greek cuss word. Now, I don't want y'all going to be like, well, you know what, Paul cussed, I can, I can cuss. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But Paul chose a word that was graphic to describe literally how he deemed his works in comparison to Jesus' work. He said, when I saw Jesus and what he did and what I received from him, it was like a piece of dog, like this other stuff became like dog dung. Not that it was bad, but in comparison to what Jesus did, he said, my perspective, what I chased, what I valued, it shifted and changed. And whenever you actually look in here and you see, what did Paul find that made him respond this way? Because even when I look at the church, whenever I, I, I see like how the church responds to Jesus and what he did, I, I, I don't think sometimes we really understand like what Jesus has given us, offered us. And Paul actually lays it, it out here beautifully of why of, of of why Jesus and what he does doesn't compare or it 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 you know and the other stuff he accomplished they just don't compare the first thing he said this i was found right he says i have been found in him he said that i was made right with god not because of my righteous works but because of christ's righteous works he said i was given a relationship with god he said i want to know christ and then he and and then he said i will have a resurrection Life Essentially, he said, I will never die. He said in the scripture, I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. And so what Paul was saying he found in Jesus, what he got in Jesus and, and why Jesus is worth and so much more treasurable than all of these other things he accomplished. He said, it's because I was found. He said, I was lost and Christ found me. He said, I was doing all these things to get right with God when all I had to do was to get right with God was to trust in the right work that Jesus did. He said, I have a relationship with God now, not, not a religion, not just do's and don'ts, but I have a religion. And then he said, I have gained that even when I die, I really don't die. The death is actually a doorway into this resurrection life that Jesus lived and Jesus promises. Paul was like, I, I realized these things. I recognize these things. And therefore, when I understood what I really had with Christ and what I put all of my trust in, it does not even compare. And really, whenever you look at what Paul found and kind of the theological words that go along with the things he found, first off, you can see that Paul was called by God. Like Paul, like God essentially said, you're mine, Paul. 
He was called. Secondly, he was justified. And this word justification means that we have been made right with God, that God does not hold our sin against us, but Jesus went and paid the price that, he, that, that, we, should have, that we should have paid for our sin, but Jesus came and paid it. And Paul realized that I have been justified, that justice has been given to Jesus, but Jesus has given me the rewards of what he suffered. Third, thirdly, he's been adopted and sanctified. Paul, Paul was like, like, I get a relationship. What scripture talks about is those that know God have been adopted, like into the family of God. They've gone from sinner to saint, enemy of God to friend of God. But also too, Paul said, I've been glorified. And, and that's a scripture word, a theological word that simply means one day we're going to have this resurrection life. We're going to be glorified in the same way Jesus' body has, has been glorified. And we're going to have this resurrected new body where there is no more death, no more pain, no more tears. We're going to live forever with King Jesus. So Paul is like describing why Jesus, why this stuff doesn't, that he accomplished doesn't compare and he narrows it down. He was called, justified, adopted, sanctified and glorified. Now, here's the thing, Paul's response, like this whole, like, yeah, this stuff that I used to have now that I have in Jesus, it doesn't even compare. This kind of response, what I've noticed and seen is very rare within the church. It's very easy to see a life who responds the way that Paul does, where when they take all these things that they have treasured before, now that they have found Jesus, and it's like, Jesus doesn't, like, this stuff doesn't even compare to Jesus. Like, you can see tangibly and physically and practically this change in somebody's life. But what I've seen typically in church, the response to what Jesus has done is usually tepid and in many ways lame. <laughs> to where we have people coming to church and following Jesus that are just trying to get by, that, that, that are trying to just do enough good works to get to heaven, that are just trying to do the right work so they can get something from God. And, and this takes away from the actual response that we should have as followers of Jesus when we understand and realize that we have been found by God, that we have been adopted and chosen by God, that we have been called by God, that we are in relationship with God, and that we're going to have a resurrection life with him one day. And, and, and my heart is for people like to understand this so then they can respond the same way that Paul did of like, I'm, this, this is so good. Like, I want this life that Jesus has. And, and one of, you know, there is a parable that Jesus told when he was teaching. It's noted and written down um, by the apostle Matthew in his book in chapter 13, where he talks about a parable that Jesus called the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower, essentially, Jesus talks about four different kinds of places where the word of God and what he calls the seed like where the seed falls on and, and kind of how these different places symbolize people's hearts. And the way that Matthew describes it, the, as Jesus taught it, is that essentially people are going to respond to the message, the good news of Jesus, in four different ways. And Jesus told this parable to represent four different places or soils that the word of God falls on. And what I want to do is I want to actually read when Jesus explains this, para this parable, because I think Jesus explaining this parable can sometimes describe the reason why we don't, dis we don't respond to the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ the way that Paul did by saying, in comparison, this stuff that I did does not compare to what Jesus did. Because I think in the church, we are called to treasure Christ. We're not called to be intrigued by him. We're not called to be glad that he is a great historical figure. We're, we're not called to be glad that we're just saved from 
hell, we are called to treasure. Like literally look at this, like treasure it. And I think there's what we see in this parable, three specific reasons why we don't treasure Christ. So let's go Matthew chapter 13. This is Jesus explaining a parable that he just told. He says this, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell along the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil, though, represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as what was planted. Jesus gives three kinds of places that the word of God, the seed falls on, that, that have different responses attached to them. And I think really describe why so many people, and I'm not talking to non-Christians here, I'm talking to Christians, about why many times we don't respond how Paul did by treasuring Christ. First off, Jesus says, some people just don't understand. Like, I think some people honestly don't understand what they've been saved from. Like a reason why people just like going to church, but there's not a response like Paul had of treasuring Christ is because I don't think we truly understand the depth of the depravity of us and the depth of the horrificness of the situation we are in, of being separated from God because of our sin. And my prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lighthouse would be a church that understands what we've been saved from that understands that, that we have been saved from a life of selfishness, from a life of, of, of not just practical hell or temporary hell, but eternal hell. And our response would be not to just go to church a couple times or, 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 or just to not be a bad person, but we would treasure Christ, that we would understand the gospel, what we've been saved from. But then Jesus goes on and he talks about the second place, the second soil is kind of the rocky soil and the seed could not grow there. The response could not, could not grow there because of problems. He, he says that when the seed was trying to grow, when it was trying to respond with growth, that there were just too many problems. And people were so focused on their problems and what was going on around them that they could not see what God wanted to do within them. And I think so many people miss treasure in Christ because they're so focused on the problems around them and what isn't going right and what isn't going according to what they think it should, that they don't even look at what Christ has offered them. But then the third soil that Jesus talks about, and, he t and what he says is, it's the deceitfulness of wealth and the hunger for riches. That Jesus is essentially saying people don't treasure Christ because they're so busy and focused on treasuring other things. And we want to talk about a cultural thing that I think fits right here about why even Christians don't treasure Christ. They don't treasure Christ because they're treasuring something else. They're treasuring something else. It's like in the United States, we have so much abundance, so many things to give our lives to and treasure. And I think one of the reasons why we even have Christians that give tepid responses to treasuring Christ and following Jesus, it can be directly related because they're treasuring something else that is not a bad thing, but Christ was meant to be treasured above all. 
And what, and what Jesus says here is that the deceitfulness and the focus on stuff can keep our focus away from treasuring Christ. From treasuring Christ. Paul's heart for us, for us, is to treasure Christ. It's to understand we've been found by him. We have relationship with him. We have been made right with God. And that when we die, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to think, well, what's going to happen? What are we gonna? No, we can have the promise because Jesus rose from the dead and lived a resurrection life. He, he gives us the same opportunity through him to live this resurrection life. Maybe in your life, you're wondering why you don't have this passion for God. You don't, you don't have this like you, 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 you're, you're kind of just like, yeah, Jesus is cool. Jesus is great. It's awesome. We'll go to church. But it's like you don't have this passion, this kind of same desire and response that Paul had. Maybe today my prayer for you is that you would understand the depth of the situation. My prayer today is you would say maybe you're focusing on too many problems. My prayer today is maybe you're so focused on treasuring something, on stuff, that you're not focused on treasuring Christ. My prayer is that you would have a revelation. And that from that revelation, your response would be like Paul's. And you would see the worthlessness of the things you treasure and the worthiness of treasuring Christ and what he has actually given you. My heart for you, LH, is that we would treasure Christ. I just don't want us to be intrigued by him. I just don't want to see Jesus as a get out of hell free card. I don't want to, to see Jesus as someone we do stuff for just so he'll give us stuff. My heart, LH, is that we would treasure the beauty of Christ and we would respond like Paul. Now here's, here's, here is, here's the challenge or, or here is the downfall if we don't treasure Christ. So here's the thing. If, if we don't treasure Christ, three thoughts, you'll either turn to religion or rebellion. Okay, get that. Here's the thing. If you don't focus and follow and treasure Jesus, then you will turn to religion or rebellion. There's two ways to miss God. And you can see this in the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the two sons. You can see this in scripture, two basic themes. People can miss Jesus by religion or rebellion. Here's the thing. Rebellion says my way is better. Religion says my works are better. And if you don't treasure Christ, you'll treasure religion. Like I've done all these good things and God likes me more. Or you can say, you know what, Jesus, he's a good man. He had some good teachings, but my way is better. And in that, if you don't treasure Christ, then you will turn towards religion or rebellion. Religion says your works are better. Rebellion says my way is better. But we are called not to turn to religion or rebellion, but to turn and treasure Christ. The second thought is if we don't treasure Christ, you'll use Jesus or you will abuse Jesus. And what I mean is this, if you don't treasure Christ, you'll use Christ to get your agenda. This is what some people do. I serve Jesus so I can get something from him. Or they'll say, ah, Jesus is great, but he saves me by grace. I can go out and do whatever I want to do, right? So then they'll either use Jesus or they will abuse the grace of God. And it will be these two routes if you don't treasure him. Treasuring Christ does not mean Jesus is a good luck charm to get what you want. Treasuring Christ doesn't mean that you abuse the grace of God that he has given you. Treasuring Christ says the greatest gift I get in serving Jesus is Jesus. Treasuring Christ means I'm not going to abuse the grace of God and go out and live a lifestyle that I want to live and I'll just say grace covers it. No, it, treasuring Christ means 
the greatest gift I get is Jesus. Treasuring Christ is now because I've received grace, I'm not going to abuse the grace of God. Now I'm going to take this grace as empowerment and live out of a want to, not a have to, this will that God has called me to. The third thing, though, if we don't treasure Christ, you'll take good things and make them God things. Essentially, you'll take things that were never meant to be treasured and put them in a place of being treasured instead of taking the one who should be treasured and you'll relegate him to a place where he isn't being treasured. You will take good things and put them in a place and you'll make them God things. And whenever you take good things and make them God things, it becomes a bad thing. Why? Because created things were never meant to fill a spot in your heart and in your life that the creator was meant to dwell and be. And that's the thing. As you treasure Christ, you'll be able to then rightly use and rightly steward every other thing. Because here's the thing. If you treasure money over Christ, you know what will happen? Your heart will intrinsically grow towards then using Jesus to get money. Or you'll, you'll just say, Jesus, you know, no. It's like, no, we, we have to treasure him because when we treasure him, good things stay as good things and God stays as God. And then we're able to rightly steward every other thing in our life because Christ is at the place where he should be and that's being treasured. Treasure. If you don't treasure Christ, you'll turn to religion or rebellion. You'll use or abuse Jesus or you will take good things and make them into God things. So here's the thing. How in the heck do we practically treasure Christ? You're like, okay, John, I hear you. Treasure Christ, treasure, treasure, treasure Christ. But that can be hard and practical. Like how does that actually work its way out? So you have a desire to treasure. So then what does that desire look like when it comes to putting in place a practical lifestyle of treasuring Christ? I got one thought and, and I'm going to close out with this. The way we practically treasure Christ is through the principle of this. First. First. You see this thread throughout scripture where when God is laying out a people in the Old Testament and he's trying to shape and form a people to have his heart and to walk in his ways. That's why the Old Testament sometimes can look a, a, a little weird because if you don't have the context of it, then you'll actually miss Jesus created a people and his heart and goal was to have these people have his heart and walk in his ways. And so that's why some of the things you see in the Old Testament are kind of weird and strange. There's a bunch of do's and don't. And because like, if, if you have kids, you understand this. Like I totally understand now the old Testament when I had kids, because do you know how hard it is to shape and form a kid to have your heart and to walk in good, in good ways. You need a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. You need a lot of relationship. You need a lot of kind of, kind of like tech, you know, like, like it's complicated. It can be difficult and hard. And this is what Jesus was trying to do within the old Testament. So one of the principles that we see within the old Testament that Jesus told this people that he was trying to shape and form practically to be like himself is he put in place this principle of first where he would tell them when you have a crop and you have rain and, and these crops come up, give me the first fruits. When you get income, let the first thing you do with what you receive, with what you earn, give to me first. When you have a child, Dedicate the firstborn to me. What was Jesus saying? He wasn't, he wasn't trying to put in place legalism. He was trying to put in place a practical system for them to treasure him. 
that it wasn't just, hey, we want to treasure Christ. No, he was trying to say, the way you treasure me isn't just by what you feel and intend to in your heart. The way you practically show that somebody or something is treasured and what, Jesus, and, and what the Bible and scripture was saying was, is what you do first. And as I'm challenging you to treasure Christ, don't use Christ, abuse Christ, choose religion or rebellion. No, the way you practically put Christ and treasure Christ, the way that Paul responded, is by putting, putting Christ first. Not just in words or intention, but with your actions. You give Christ the first part of your day. When your feet hit the floor, it's not your phone, it's, your, it's scripture, it's prayer. You give God the first part of your day. Instead of the news, you give him the first moments of your day in his word. You give him the first part of your week. You gather with other believers and prioritize gathering and come together so the first thing you do in your week is to have the word of God implanted in you, is to be reminded you're not in this thing by, by yourself. It's through worship to put your eyes and to have your perspective shifted to know the story that you are living by isn't by what you see, it's by a God that can't be seen, that you are not in control, that God is in control. You give him the first part of your week. You give him the first part of your paycheck. That's one of the powerful things about tithing is that essentially whenever you give to God first, you are setting priority. You're saying the first thing that I'm going to do instead of paying my, like I'm giving back to the source first, the first part. You practically treasure Christ by putting him first. There's a proverb that says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. There is a principle of when you put God first, it's not legalism, it's training. Because right? I think sometimes some of you will say, well, John, this just sounds like legalism. Like this just sounds, okay, you're talking about tithing, you're talking about like, you know, we're going to read my Bible, praying, like this, this all just sounds like do, 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 do. But let me tell you this, right? You can have a heart and you can intend to treasure, to treasure Christ. But here's the thing, if it's just intentions, if it's just a heart desire and it's not shown practically, it's not either or, it's both in. You just don't want a good heart with bad habits or good habits with a bad heart. Treasuring Christ means you have a good heart with good habits, right? So here's, here, here is the thing, and I want to make sure that I do this right. I say this correctly. It's only legalism. The things you do are only legalism if you're doing those things to save you. So if you are doing holy Christian things because you think it saves you, that is legalism. If you are doing training, habitual, spiritual disciplines and putting God first with your, with your day, with your week, with your paycheck, with your family, with your time, that is not legalism, it's training. It's training. It's a practical way to say, God, I want, I want to treasure you, so I'm going to put you first. Here's the thing. Grace saves us, and we preach that. We believe that. Scripture says it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not yourselves. This is the gift of God. But here's the thing. Grace is not, a, is, grace is not opposed to effort. 
It's opposed to earning. Let me say that one more time. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And my heart is to see at LifeHouse a group of people that treasure Christ, not just with their intentions, not just with their words, but treasure him practically in their life, not to earn salvation, but to show the result of their salvation, to show the result of them treasuring Christ by saying Christ is first. First part of my morning, first part of my day, first part of my week, first part of my paycheck, first part of my stuff, first part of my time. That as a result of what Jesus has done for us and as an intentional training to treasure him, I'm putting him first. Lifehouse, Paul treasured Christ and he's challenging us to do the same. Not just with your words, but let's treasure him with our lives by putting him first. Let's not treat him like a good luck charm. Get out of hell free card. Let's respond like Paul, where Paul said and compare it. I've done all these good things. These things aren't bad things. But these things, when I compare them to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it doesn't even compare. All this stuff is literally like dog dung, and I'm treasuring Jesus. Why? Because I've been found. He found me when I was lost. I have, like, now, I've, I've, like, I'm made right with God. That there's no beef between us. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't see what I've done. He's seen what Jesus has done. Like, I'm in relationship with God. I don't have a bunch of rules, and I have a relationship with God. And I know this life is not all there is, that when I die, it's simply a doorway to where I will experience this resurrection life that Jesus promises. And y'all, if we will treasure Christ and we understand this, then our response will be like Paul's. But we will treasure Christ. That's my heart for you, you Lifehouse. Let's treasure Christ and put him first. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Pray for those watching, fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that there would be a revelation in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, and that God, just as we saw how Paul reacted and Paul responded, would the response of our heart be one of God? Look what we have. Thank you for those things we've done, these cultural markers of success. They're great, they're fine, but when compared to Christ, they're nothing. So God, let us be a church of people, individually and corporately, that treasures Christ, that we don't fall into religion or rebellion, we don't abuse or use Christ, that we don't take good things and make them God things, but we put God in his, we put Jesus in his rightful place as the treasure of our lives. Give us grace and strength. Let us not be opposed to training, but God, let us put you first practically so we can have the intentions of our heart and the practicality of our hands working together to make you known and treasure you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.